Hey everybody, this is TA and welcome back to the Recourse Podcast. I have a special bonus episode. We're bringing it back. Bonus episode means I'm talking to my husband, Matthew. A couple of people have asked us about our adoption process. I know we've addressed it a couple of times a little bit here and there on the podcast. And so we thought it was time to sit down and go through some of the logistical and emotional pieces that went into it. And so I hope you guys enjoy. It was a nice time for us to rethink about things that happened um, over three years ago. So we are excited for you to hear our story. Let's jump in with Matthew. You feeling ready for bonus number three? Sure. Back by popular demand. I didn't realize there was demand for me. Your episode is the <laughs> uh, bonus number one is the most listened to episode on the entire show. Yeah. So you must okay. have done something, right? I don't know. <laughs> You're just, just lucky. <laughs> You're just so engaging to talk to. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, for those who don't know, uh, this is Matthew, my husband, and you're so excited to be back. Allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> we thought we would do another bonus episode. We've had a couple of people now ask um, or make comments. I know we've talked, I've talked um, on the podcast about our adoption, but we thought we would go through a little bit of the, well, maybe all of the actual story of how that came to be and what that was like. So if we're going to tell the story, you have to start with your background um, because that gives insight to why we went the way we did. Okay. Um, if we want to go back... Um, my parents were divorced when I was young and when my mom remarried, um, she remarried a man that was from India. So my stepdad, Shri, was born and raised in India. He came to the United States in the late seventies. He was a physician. And so when my mom married him, um, it opened up, um, this wonderful world and brand new culture into my life and into our family. And so I grew up with just as many aunties and uncles from India as I did my mom's German family. Is that the background yeah, that you're looking for? Yeah, and you also have a half-sister as well. I do. I have a younger sister who we obviously have the same moms, but she's um, my stepdad's only daughter. And so her name is Sunita. And so when Matthew and I came to a point, and again, I know I've talked about this before, but for those who haven't heard it, we had a lot of infertility issues. So for us to... Um, have our first two biological children was a bit of a struggle. We were very blessed in the end to able to have both of them healthy and and with us when we were thinking about having a third child we decided maybe it would be time to start looking into adoption. Were you one who wanted or thought about adoption growing up? No, no. Were there Not anybody right. around you who had been adopted? Well, you, you know of adopted families, and you're like, oh, those great people are great, because they took in kids, you know, but you don't necessarily think of it in the context of, the, are you going to do it? Because obviously, most people are going to have a biological concept, yeah. because for a number of reasons. One, it's so obvious. It's the easy route, so to speak. Not that it's easy, obviously. It's Not just for that, some people. <laughs> it's just, well, and then I'm saying even just as like, Sometimes it just happens, right, for some people. And, sure. you know, then there's people who have more difficulties. And there's people who can't at all. Um, and so there's a full range, a full gamut. Generally, I looked at it with the perspective of, you know, people wanting to adopt, you know, especially fosters. We've talked about that in Joni Was Your Army podcast. Mm. Talk about fostering and how 
those people take on a lot of challenges and um, are really, I think they're fantastic that they can do that. Yeah. So, but it was never a perspective of like, oh, I'll do that someday. Right. I remember we had that conversation pretty early in our marriage that I did. I, I always kind of saw that would be something I'd be interested in doing, not thinking I would need to necessarily, or that that's the way the trajectory of life would take me, but thinking that would be something I would be happy to do or be it would be interested in doing so it was interesting that that came to be a part of our lives um but I do remember specifically I was I won't say eager but I was definitely like on board from day one of it and I felt it took you a little bit longer to get there um I don't I wouldn't say it took me longer to get there it's just like situation like this you deal with it as it's presented to you and the fact is you were driving it so I didn't really have to you know work at it so to speak um that's not true in every case obviously we each have our own priorities and things we're trying to do um but you were much more willing to to drive the conversation and figure it out and I, actually I mean I remember us having the conversation where I'm like if this is a thing that we're going to do you're going to have to I need you to do it essentially to do the logistics, to figure out, I mean, I'll help you with that and mm-hmm. we'll figure out these issues, but um, it needed a manager and that would have to be you. Yeah, well, I, I know I've used this phrase before on the podcast too, but the paper pregnancy is what they call it, like the paperwork pregnancy that comes along with adoption is kind of what it needs, it does need one, if not both parents to really kind of dig into and be kind of in charge of. Um, I took the initiative right away. I have a friend from college who has adopted five kids from South Korea. And so, um, she was the first person I reached out to and kind of went through that conversation of what does it really look like to adopt internationally and, and what, what is advice? What are organizations? What way can we pray? What, what are things that we can to even get the ball rolling for us? And that was really important for me to kind of start digging into that and then started looking locally to some of our friends at church who had adopted internationally as well and there was just some amazing women that came alongside me to help me actually feel more more than anything just confident that it was something that we could actually accomplish because it seems like a lot when you start so how do you start i think that would be a lot of things people would want to know is like okay you want to adopt internationally where do you go what do you do I think the biggest starting point was figuring out what organization um, is closest to you or it would be the best support system for you. So for us, there was quite a few. We were lucky enough to live in a big city in Minneapolis, near Minneapolis where there's a, lo- a lot of organizations that can help families with international adoption. And so we kind of vetted a couple and looked at which program um, and which group we wanted to go with that was going to provide us the pre-support, the during support, and then the after support. And we should state also, like, there's a lot of, there are people, and we met these people that don't even do use an agency. Yeah. And that's a whole other level. Right. And again, I think there are people who are doing awesome things and brave enough, but I I knew for me, I needed somebody to be alongside me to say, no, 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 you didn't do that right. Because I didn't want to put all the effort. Well, they have to do the actual attorney work, essentially. And uh, there's a lot of steps where if you mess it up, you're kind of... You start over right or you can jeopardize lots of things and we can get to this part later but even the self-reporting that you do afterwards and how that can affect other people's adoptions if organiz- or if um, countries feel like systems aren't um, being well held up they will limit what's happening and we can share some more of that as we get into the story but um, 
that was definitely step one for me was figuring out which organization was going to give us the most support. We went with America World. And why? Um, the best way I can describe it is the social worker that we were going to work with was in Coon Rapids, which is very close to our hometown within 20, 30 minutes. So we could meet with them for all of our home study, all of the uh, prep work that we needed to do, and then the after study, um, like the check-ins afterwards and stuff. And then also that American World um, is the organization that Stephen Curtis Chapman, he has adopted his children through them. So they had some clout in the Christian world or just some clout kind of out there that, you they know. They have experience. Yeah. yeah. We, we knew, um, there's the other piece was we knew specifically we wanted to go to India. I think if we wanted to be really honest, we would have really considered Thailand as our first choice. Right. Um, but in the statistics, the year before we were looking into it, they had only let like 11 children well, out of the when, country. When we lived there, we knew how difficult it was. Yeah. Thailand's laws are very nationalistic in a way. Mm -hmm. um, people don't, it's weird when people talk about U.S. nationalism. It's nowhere near the level of, of the country like Thailand. Right. They're I, very much of a Thai culture, Thai identity. And you know, I think at the time that would have made sense as we were so much more connected to the Thai culture. But now, looking back on it, I think we made the right decision in looking at India because our son has the ability to look at grandpa and we actually, you know, he, ha he has grandpa's name and he has, you know, um, Auntie Suni and then we have all these aunts and uncles and cousins. Yeah, it was never a prerequisite. It's more of a nice to have more than anything else, right? Right. But, but I think that's a big piece for a lot of people who, there's a lot of people who are a little more opposed to or suspect to families that adopt internationally because they feel like there's so much within our own culture or within our own communities that we could be helping and supporting and why are we looking outside of that to adopt and that would be one of the biggest reasons why for us was that we wanted to also provide that for our children for our family you well you have to tie it's understandable yeah you want to make that tie I think the thing would be unfortunate. The fact is, somebody wants to adopt a child out of an orphanage. That's one less child in an orphanage. Yeah. Regardless of the cultures involved. Yeah. There's a there's a, just a lot of political cultural thought process in that, and people land on many different planes on that, and so you have to have your own um, foundation and be comfortable with what you chose and why. So we were very happy with what we did. So going back to so we chose America World. And we started that whole home study process. And I knew it was going to be tedious, like a lot of detailed paperwork. But oh boy, do you remember that time? Um, they have to come and interview. Uh, I remember doing an interview at Caribou, actually. Yep, yep. Um, they yeah. came and ch checked out the house. They talked to the Ironically, kids. we went to the Caribou, which is just down the street from where I work now. At the time, <laughs> it was like the halfway point between the home studies person's address and our home address yeah now that's where i work we're just down the street so it's kind of funny actually. it's just yeah but that was nice to be able to be so close um there we was had to do a psych eval yeah we had to do financial forms uh health records we had to get all kinds of just medical tests done it's amazing the amount of stuff you have to go through do you remember why we had to do the psych eval yeah, there. So for the people don't don't have, don't hear about this thing, there was a child that was adopted. It was out of India, correct? And this child passed away. I don't know the circumstances of it. It was a child in Texas, 
and she was murdered by the parents. Yeah, so... And so India quickly changed their laws to... Was it in America World or was it India? It was India. Okay. So it was all families within... uh, That were part of the Hague. um, The Hague Convention? Yep. Yeah. So we were we were right at the end of all of our home. St- we had our home study was completely finished. We had turned in a bunch of paperwork. We were ready, we were like at that next step of getting matched with the kid, and it halted our process. And then we had to go find. And I remember texting friends at church who were in the um, counseling field, being like, "Do you know of anybody who could see us?" <laughs> and yeah. then having to make this connection and having to go in. And I think that was probably the most uncomfortable I felt during our entire process was to sit there and convince somebody I wasn't a murderer, <laughs> which well, I wasn't. Well, but, you know, it's a weird feeling. <laughs> like, I swear I'm good. I swear I'll take care of this kid. Please just trust me. Didn't they give you the test? And they, you, you, did you fill out the ovals to try to prove that you weren't? <laughs> yeah. Well, like, then you're like, I'm not lying. I swear I'm not lying. I'm lying maybe a little bit, but I'm not lying a lot. Or, I don't know. I well, just... I remember that, so I remember this being a couple months before they gave us, they gave us matches, potential ch- children to work with, mm-hmm. right? So basically, we fill out this information and send it in, and then they, they allowed us to set up through the India. I'm not even sure how that worked out, even now. As far as there was a whole system, is. yeah, which I've managed. Which is, it's, um, you don't get to see waiting children like the way you can do maybe sometimes here within the states. Um, what they do is they'll take that information and then they make a match based on what they feel would be best, and then you get a certain amount of time from when you get the information about that child to make a decision, yes or no. And this was, I remember we had, I want to say it was about four or five days to make that decision. And I think that was sometimes one of the hardest parts for me because I kept thinking in my head, I wanted to go into the process not having a specific idea of of what I wanted kid-wise, age-wise, you know, like we would really be okay with anything. And when our son, which was our first match, it was that feeling of, what would happen if we said no? And that was well, all I could we think. we should back up, too, because in, in as you're going through this process, you do select for things that you can accept and won't accept. Yes. So we both were, you know, obviously severe disability. We're like, no, we can't handle that. It's some cognitive disability. There's people out there who handle it. We didn't feel like we were the type that we're going to be able to deal with that. But some physical disability, sure. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> like we were more than willing to sign up, sign up for like club foot or you know who knows club palettes yeah. things that yeah those were fine I mean you know um, physical disabilities we didn't feel as were as big of a deal I think there were certain physical disabilities that we definitely could handle and we checked like there was quite a gamut of they, of you, they give you the list it's, right it's not a small list right so I was gonna go back to how did you feel when we got our first match with Avi so. It's a weird feeling to be sent uh, a picture and a little bio and even a video, I think. We got a video and like three pictures. Yeah. Uh, um, just to say, here's a, here's a, here's a boy, um, here's some of his information, here's his basic medical stuff. What do you think? Yeah. And you're just kind of like, that's it? That's all you're really kind of running That's on? all you get. And, and uh, I know that you really kind of were hoping, like were thinking you wanted to get a girl. And I'm like, well, I don't want to be discriminatory to gender, actually. Right, and that's why I said I was in my head. It was like I was thinking a girl, but I didn't want to be like I only will take a girl because I was not. That didn't have to be a girl. Um, I think there was just the way my brain played it out. Like this is what I assumed it would happen, right? But like I said before, I think the hardest piece for me was 
I mean, what if we say no to this kid? What happens to this kid? Like, they're all of a sudden you became connected yeah. in, in this way that you, I feel like, almost guilty that if we hadn't said yes, I would think about that kid for the rest of our life, right? You'd feel guilty of, like, what's happening? In a way, that's the good part of taking the first one. Yeah. However, like, if you had gotten the next one on the list, you probably, I don't know, it would be much consideration now. But the fact is, we saw those kids when we went to India. And it's incredibly sad, especially some of the kids with disabilities that are all being watched for and clearly need help. And I'm, I'm very, I think God honors those people that are watching them and, mm. and taking care of those kids with disabilities. I think that's maybe when I first started having some of that realization and understanding too of like, I am, there was some night, a lot of naive, naivete going into the process. And I feel like we had done a good job. We had, we had done training with trauma we had done training and thinking through what that looks like to bring a child to a new culture um how to honor um his bio parents and things like that and yet at the same time it just always seems bigger than i was prepared for if that makes sense but we did choose abby and i can't imagine our lives now we had different, like he was meant, like God really had meant for him to be in our so, family. So one of the things you have to do when you're going through all this training for adoption is you have to learn about children of trauma. Mm. And uh, leading to your point, we're very fortunate that really there's very little. I mean, he did come with some baggage, but it, no, no abuse really mm. that we could ever see. Because we know families who have kids that came from abuse, they were adopted in, and uh, people say, what's wrong with the kid? Well, well it's like, they're, maybe they're lashing out, but there's, people think it's a discipline issue, it's not. Oh. It's more, you're gonna have to be patient with that kid. And I'm very fortunate that Avi didn't have any of these issues. Um, some of the issues we had actually seem kind of minor. <laughs> I, I have two stories related to that. I feel like, number one, I feel, I tell people all the time, that we are so blessed that we have had a pretty smooth transition for him and the um, transition for him to be in our family has gone really, really well. However, I always say, but I'm not naive enough, I keep using that word, to understand that that couldn't come up for him later or that just because the process is easy now doesn't mean it's gonna be easy when he's 15, 16, 18, 20 and questioning and thinking and processing life you know what I mean? This is a forever process for him to know that he's adopted and that there will always be questions for him and there will always be trauma related to that. And so it might manifest itself at an older age. So he, we were matched with him when he was technically three, right? Right. And so, but he didn't come home until he was four years old. Four, yeah. So um, the odds of him having trauma and all these things were actually pretty low. Some of the issues that he did come home with Mm. While I'm kind of jumping ahead, whereas a little, he had some malnutrition clearly from a young age. Yeah. And he just had a little, some physical issues and some setbacks as far as that's concerned. Um, you know, and those are those things that stuff you can see on his medical. Um, I'm jumping ahead a little bit. Um, that's okay. I think that's the, the hard part about it because everything we, after you get matched, everything kind of falls into this process. We did have a couple of hiccups. Not on our end, but on, um, 
I can't remember what area it was, but it had to do with the Indian government. And it was nothing that was wrong. It just, the process normally takes four to six weeks in one of the paperwork hoops that we had to jump through. And we were on like week 11, week 12. And I just remember constantly feeling torn and heartbroken of like, we're just wasting all this time. And especially because once you're matched, you're like, you just want them home. And um, we'd finally gotten some new pictures and a new video. And I remember being at work and crying and being just like so mad that I'm missing all these things. Well, I, one thing that people might be interested to know too is that depending on where, what region, what state you yeah. adopt out of in India, it's dramatically different. We were actually waiting and waiting. I think you were up to week 11 or 12. And you were, I remember coming home and you were really impatient. Yeah. And as I'm like, all you can do is wait to see. Because <laughs> in a lot of, so some of these courts, they actually demand you show up in person. Yes. So, and that's not to pick up the child. That's just mm -hmm. to be signed off on the court order that you can, you're allowed to take it. Yeah, there's some families that go and come back and go and come back and go. And what we want up having happen is all of a sudden we get this notice like, yeah, it's good. Actually, I remember it's, it's dated, the court order was dated December 31st of 2018 right which meant um and then come get him like five yeah. minutes later we were and then all and also we're working on his passport you're gonna have to come here in four weeks yeah like we were within a two or three week turnaround period of all of a sudden it was like whoa okay we gotta go talk to our bosses and be like we're on our way and get, buy the tickets and get all the uh hotels set up and this is where again america world does such a nice job because they have um they really helped us get all of that stuff taken care of they knew which hotels to get they got drivers for us uh, we had an in-country guide. We also had my, my stepdad come with us. Shri was with us and he, because he spoke the language. And actually we had family in Hyderabad that was very close. So we got to spend time with um, family in India that I hadn't met or, um, well, auntie and uncle I had met before, but, you know, extended yeah, family. Yeah, so we, we flew Minneapolis, uh, Amsterdam, Amsterdam, Mumbai, and then Hyderabad. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's where actually Sri has family. Yeah. So we got to meet them there. That's really interesting. But then, <laughs> the day of actually going to get Abby, we had to drive six hours. It was a very long day. Yeah. Both ways on the same day. So six hours we got. Probably left at five or six. Four or five in the morning, I remember. And drove all the way down. Um, we got to I can't remember. Basically, social services mm -hmm. for that region. And they're kind of, we gave them a bunch of gifts and said, here's some donations. We bought stuff just specifically for kids, you know, some clothes, some toys, mm -hmm. um, various other things. And they were pretty happy about that. And then we said, sat down. It's actually a funny, just a, a small little office. Um, you think of third world countries, it's, it's kind of at that level where you just kind of walk in, you sit down, it's all open there. And here's your documents, sign here, sign here. You sign several documents. Okay. Well, what was... I'm going to even stop you there because what was interesting too, like um, there'd be somebody there, like um, an older gentleman, and he'd be kind of telling us what's going on. And then somebody else would come in and they would speak in Telugu and then so they would leave and then the next person would come and they'd talk. And our translator was trying to give us kind of the gist of what was going on or, or Sri was telling us kind of what was happening. But there was such a, I don't know if you felt this, but I just felt this constant like something's going wrong. Something is going to happen. Something is not going right. Because then they shifted us to another building. Well, normally, so when you adopt a child, normally that's it. You're at that place. At the orphanage. And Well, we weren't even at the orphanage. The well, orphanage, we didn't get to go to the orphanage. The orphanage was actually quite a ways away from where we are. We were in Katapa, which actually was uh, the regional center. And uh, this is where the actual official doc government work would be done. 
Uh, but anyway, normally you sign off on these documents. Okay, here's the child. You're done. That's it, not sometimes like, they'll have a party. They'll do the, you know, well, whatever. No, would, if you were at the orphanage. Yeah. Sure. Um, and then so what, what wind up happening is we found out actually there was local government authorities that wanted to sign off on this. Abby was the first child of this region to ever be internationally adopted. And so it was quite a big hubbubaloo about... And we still at this point didn't realize. We didn't know this at all until the night before we went to go pick him up. I happened to be on Facebook um, and went to the orphanage website. And they had this huge party for him. And they had all these pictures of him on the internet and all we this stuff. We seeing that we were in the news. And yeah, we were in the newspaper and we're going, what is going on? And... That's why we were being shifted to all these places. And I remember about the half hour before we got to meet Abby. And I say, when I say, sorry to interrupt you, when I say we were in the news, we were literally, our faces were in the news. It wasn't like front our Front page. <laughs> yeah, it was a very front page article. Uh, if, if there, you can Google it and you find it. But um, right before we met Abby, we, again, we've been shifted around to a couple different offices and this is when I was starting to really feel like that something is going on and I'm not comfortable with what's happening and I don't know enough. And our translator was also kind of upset because I think she wanted us to go to the orphanage, but then they didn't want us to go to the orphanage and they wanted us to be at the city center because the governor of that region wanted to be there when this happened. And then we got put in this little room and finally, like literally half the orphanage came in the room with Abby. Yeah, like with Abby and... He had a suit on. He was very handsome. He had a suit on that was, well, he was tiny. He was, yeah, the suit and was way too big for him, he, but it's okay. The suit wore him. And that's okay. <laughs> he was very scared, and the and transition, yep, the transition went very bad. He got the guava later, because right, they were right, trying right. to placate. It was it was a really bad transitional moment, because there was just way too many people, and people were trying to figure out what to do. And at one point, somebody had said to Abby to get him to calm down, because he was crying so hard, because he did not want obviously to come to us which was fine we were not like give us this kid it was more the like we were just trying to find a calm space to help him feel comfortable and somebody said oh if you sit with this family they'll give you chocolate and so we were like what okay hold on and we have chocolate in the car go get chocolate so matt left the room to go get this chocolate from the car and he's gone five ten minutes he comes back and he literally leans over to me goes there's paparazzi outside and i'm like what are you talking about and i'm like whatever i don't i don't i don't have any energy to what i'm so focused on this kid and the chaos around me and when they finally were like okay we need you to go now to meet the governor to sign off on this they opened the double doors we we gotta back up (laughs) because you they were kind of floss rushing over the fact that i just went outside and so i leave the room and I go out into like the, the lobby, so to speak, the mm. large public space. And all of a sudden I'm like, I know I'm the only white guy pretty much that's <laughs> in the area. And, but everybody's really staring at me. And not just because I'm a white guy, but because they know who I am. Why you're there. And the cameras are also on me. And so uh, the car is like a ways over there. Like I'd have to go down, up, out the building, across the street, try to find it. And I quickly decide, I'm like, um, I don't want people following me to a vehicle, kind of chasing me around. So I just, you turned it right back into the room. And that's when I told you that. Um, and they, we were in there for a little bit before we got to go and actually see the regional governor. But I didn't believe you when you said there's like pop, I'm in my head, I'm thinking, whatever, that's not, I don't even know what you're talking about. But when they opened those double doors, 
it was like two rows of all of these camera crews and pictures and I'd never, we've never experienced anything like that. And so then we're ushered very quickly into this other room. Doors are shut behind us and all the cameras are on the outside. And we go through this conversation with the governor, whoever of uh, Kataputta to clarify that we are of sound mind and all that stuff. And we're able to, you know, be a good match with him. Yeah, he signs off and... Like... Why do you want to Why do you want this kid sort of thing? And, uh, you know, just just trying to ask us, probe us, ask us why we're doing this. So yeah. There's more to it than that, which we won't go into, but just like, so we just kind of stated our opinion and then they took some pictures of us. With yes, the there was a lot of pictures. And then the <laughs> same thing, then they opened the double doors again and then now it was a full onslaught. Like, at some point, a reporter had taken Shri to the side and was talking to him in Telugu, like giving the full on reporting of like, yeah. How do you know them, and why and so are you I here? So I took a picture of him, and I texted it to your mother. <laughs> <laughs> like, he's famous. I, but remember, at this point, we had driven for six hours. There was a lot of stress to get to this. I just was, my brain was just, like, blown that this was happening and that this so was... So if people are really cool. interested and they're really good at Google slash YouTube, <laughs> they will find a video of you, me, and Avi. Mm-hmm. Um, there's actually a couple of news reports. Most there's a couple about Avi, and then there's one specifically with video of us in there. Maybe I'll link it in the show notes. It's uh, if you can find it, I know, I know it's been harder to find the last year or two. Yeah, I, I I, the up. hardest piece for me to watch it though is you can see how in distress Avi was. Like it, it's heartbreaking yeah, as a so mom to we watch. Kinda, it. We kind of glossed over that. The fact is, the handoff should be you bring the child in, you give them to the parents, you walk out. That's or or with four to six people in the room, have a time for the child to be able to slowly and calmly transition versus there was never a point where there was less than 20 people in that room. And that was what was so hard. And they everybody was trying their best to, oh, we'll do this. And that's where he got the guava because somebody like, here, you want this? And that will, you know, like yeah. like a toy for a baby. And you're like, no, he doesn't need a guava. And I, I, I'm just saying it would have been easier Hand him over, he's going to cry, and he's going to calm down. And then we can kind of, you know, it'll get a lot faster than the way it went. Yeah. That guava was in his hand when we went to bed that night. That was another six-hour drive back to our hotel. And we had stopped for dinner somewhere. (laughs) I don't think any of us ate. Um, And then when we got into the hotel room, I remember taking it from him and putting it on the night table so that he knew it was there so he would have that. But I remember in the next morning being very nervous that he would be angry or sad or, you know, so disoriented or whatever. But I remember we had a great breakfast and he smiled at us and we were playful with him. And not that we didn't have struggles the rest of the week after that, but we very quickly had to go up to Mumbai because up there they do, um, that's where we can get um, through the consulate. New Delhi. Yeah. Thank you. That's where we can go to the consulate and get... Um, to finish the passport stuff and, and to get him out of the country. We do had to do some medical stuff too, which was quite horrible. Exit visas and, yeah. Yeah. Um, but that week, um, once we got up to New Delhi, the interesting thing to me was, so America World again put us in this hotel. There were multiple families that were in the same process as us, just on different days. So it was so funny. We met a couple and they had two days earlier gotten there before us. So the day before they had done this and that was what we were doing the next day and it was nice to be able to have process yeah and there was nice that they had we had that connection with those people to be like okay so what we the hotel was fantastic about it too the hotel staff 
Yes, the whole. And they they made a cake and the whole deal for him, and they, they were they bent over backwards to make sure he got what he needed. Yes, that was super nice. Um, one of the other really cool families that we met. This was my favorite story. Well, I feel really embarrassed about it now, but it was a really cool story of we had met a family. We were in the hospital doing our last medical, um, and for us the medical was really hard for Abby. They had done some testing that was that was pretty hard on him, and so we were already in a, a high stress level trying to keep him calm and this other family had walked up to us and they were excited because they were from Indiana and we had some connection where I had went to college in Indiana. And so I was like, Oh, that's cool. And at the time I'm like, really, uh, what hotel are you at? Same hotel. Great. We'll talk to you later. Like I can't right now we got this, you know, kind of stressful situation. And as you and I got back to the hotel and I was, we were replaying that situation with that family. You were like, did you see their adopted kid? I was like, no, but they must be a family that brought, some families bring their other children with them, their biological children or other children that they've adopted with them because it's easier for the family to be all together. And I said, I didn't, I didn't see, I saw they had a baby with them, but I didn't see um, their adopted child must've been in with the doctor or whatever. And then later when we met them at the hospital, at the hotel, they only had the one child. And I hadn't realized until that moment that their daughter was albino. And that was... Um, the reason that 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 child was available for adoption that they um, it was probably abandoned for that reason. yes yeah. and that was so sad and then we talked through that whole process of there there was such a huge relief and blessing that they were able and able to help her and save her because most children don't make it if they are born that way in certain cultures in India yeah so yeah we saw several kids in that hotel several families and uh, it's pretty, actually, pretty neat how they have just a system set up to go through there. But we were there in New Delhi for probably a week. Actually, most the quickest time period is when we're picking up Abby, and the majority of the time is in New Delhi. Um, the time in New Delhi is, we consider that kind of the hardest week of our marriage, not because of the relationship between us, but because uh, just dealing with Abby. Uh, we're not kidding when we say that te- the medical testing was over the top, more than we need to cover mm-hmm. here, but he would... You know, we'd leave the room, and he just would—he'd want to vomit, and he just couldn't ha- handle it. And it took several days for him just his nerves to calm down. Right. I remember we had ordered room service because if we left the room, a lot of times he would puke, and so we were in the room trying to eat, and he was really reluctant to eat anything. And there was onions on the side platter. I remember he ate all those lime. He put kept squirting the lime on the onions, and mm-hmm. he ate a bunch of that until he puked. Which was not very much. I mean, it's just extremely high anxiety for him. Oh, for sure. Um, and you know, the fact is, most of the time he seems reasonably happy, mm. but he just was so anxious that he couldn't keep anything down. Yeah, well, it was such a jarring transition for him. But I will say, and we noticed it right away when we came home. The transition, the minute we walked in the door, seemed so much easier. Um, I think. We talked about this a lot. His language came very quickly. Like he was able to transition um, from Telugu to English quite quickly. He picked up things so fast. But he was very triggered by hearing Telugu and being around other people that spoke. He didn't like it. He wanted or he seemed very comfortable around people when they spoke English with him. But if they spoke Telugu, it really kind of upset him and he would become very yeah and especially those first couple of months is anybody even saying even Indian people yeah 
um, would throw him off because our assumption was he thought he was going to have to go back. That's I think that too. I was just talking to a friend that um, I always joke it was so fun to have a kid to get a to get a kid who was already potty trained. Like that was that was when I was like, yay! That was so nice. I have to do that again. But he did have a little bit of regression where he was being the bed at night. And what I attribute that to was it was about maybe six to eight months after he had come home. And it was like the one of the first times, I really think it was because he was sleeping soundly through the night. Like he was sleeping so hard. He didn't know he had to go to the bathroom. It was like that finally, that feeling of like he was finally sleeping well. And so it was like, even though it regressed that, I think it was a real, it, I noticed in him at that time, he was much more, relaxed and free and yeah. easy so there's other things that when he came home that uh were noticeable also like he's a small kid mm. and per his age as recorded we're not even totally 100 percent sure of his birthday mm. officially his birthday it's like the 15th of october but it could be that it was it, it, they moved it back we're just not entirely sure um, but regardless, he's a small kid. So if you go by what his officially bir official birthday is supposed to be, he is undersized. He was not on the chart, so to speak. Yeah. So um, he since then has grown significantly, and he's he's still small, but you know he's in the what the fifth percent of you know his height, weight, yeah. and so on, and and he's on the chart. You know the thing is initially that pedi the pediatrician's like, well, we might have to do some, you know, hormone. Or something for him growth hormone and i'm like no let's i'd rather not just wait and see he should we just he needs some calories he needs some you know just to get enough nutrition to build that back up and yeah he had set up especially in his first year of his life probably but uh he should be able to recover the majority of that pretty well yeah we every time we take him in now um he gets you know is we're seeing normal growth patterns and he's doing really well we were really lucky to the university of minnesota uh here in minneapolis has an international adoption center where they have doctors who specialize in international adoptions and so we brought him in right away with them and so they did such a thorough amazing job with him one of the biggest things we were concerned about was vaccinations and wanting to make sure that he had what he needed and um based on the minimal medical records that we had they were able to do testing to ensure and determine what he had had and what he hadn't and i remember you got the lovely job of it's very light in terms of what he had so in india everybody's getting their polio vaccine yeah and they're getting a type of tb tb treatment but it's not the not the one that you get in the u.s for sure and then um he did bring some presents home with us as far as he had some intestinal stuff. Yeah. That was not good, which is very common in third world countries. And then he also brought home mice, which we did check him for when we were in India. But we, my, my thought is that they had teased out his hair really thoroughly before the adoption. So maybe we just, it was there. We just didn't see any bugs and then he brought it home. You know, somebody had suggested... Well, we did bring we did bring a lice kit with us, which we didn't use because we did. We saving. should have shampooed. I would say to anybody who's adopting internationally, yeah, do a lice shampoo, whether or not you think he has it, he or she would have it or not. Well, and I've had other people say we should have just shaved his head, which we could have easily have done as well. well but it's a little bit. Takes care of it. Yes, the cutting your child's hair without their without them understanding what's going on can also be quite traumatic. So, um, the other family we met from Texas who had two daughters, they had done that and 
the girls were on board with that and that was fine. So mm-hmm. they were able to do that cause they were older kids. But I, I think those were easy things to kind of get over and move on. But yeah, that was fun to deal with, with our other two too, cause they got I, the lice. And... I'm the only one who didn't get it. It's true. But that's the, one of the benefits of being bald. <laughs> true. Very true. Um, once we were home, um, I was fortunate enough to still stay on maternity leave for a long enough time to help continue the transition. My mom did an amazing job of helping with the kids while we were gone, but also she had cooked so much Indian food that we had a storage full in our freezer, so we were able to help him transition. Um, he definitely didn't like um, a lot of, you know, traditional food that we would make here. So um, it was nice to be able to have that time to give him things that he still was familiar with while transitioning into some other things. There are some things he took to right away, like peanut butter and whatever, but like um, any ground beef or red meat, he wasn't a huge fan of yeah, pizza and stuff. Yeah, at least in Sombra for the yes, first couple was, weeks, yeah, for sure. Yeah. A lot of rice and curry and but I mean we we love that stuff so it wasn't hard on us. He definitely had a lot of preferences that now are not a thing. Yeah. But beef was absolute no. Yeah. Um, a few other things like that. I can't remember. He had a couple things right away that he thought was chicken fingers is always golden. That's chicken. Chicken favorite color is chicken nuggets. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that worked out well though. We we were lucky that way with him. Um, and like I said, the language, um, this, I, I know I've talked a lot about this with other friends in the adoptive community about how to balance your, um, other children in your family to still feel important, to still feel involved. And we've been very lucky that the sibling rivalry or the sibling dynamic in our family seems to continually be positive. Do you agree with that? Yeah. I mean, from the get go, Brandon and Lyle took him in and there was never a problem. There was some back and forth and I, with Brandon now I had a conversation about, okay, you know, we're, we're gonna treat him as if you guys treat each other. So um, we're not gonna go all easy on him necessarily. Like, I don't wanna do the kid glove thing, but at the same time, you have to talk to us. Um, you know, he's, he's a rough and tumble kid and you know, that, you, I know you guys are gonna fight here and there and have accidents, and but he's gonna be, you know, he can complain about you just as much as you complain about him, as long as we all work together at it. And, you know, we should be fine. Yeah. Well, I think that would lead us into another part of the conversation, but I think we might have to do a different bonus episode about parenting because there's so many nuggets that we have learned, not that we're experts by any means, but what it looks like to parent each of your children differently because we're big advocates of even um, our older two they have we there's not them. one solution yeah ever that's kind of the, that's what you have to say there's not one solution for any one particular kid yeah and boy does that resonate after you've you've adopted a child who's had some trauma for sure so any other parts of the story that we missed or that we didn't talk about i wish we could do a q a and people could ask us questions yeah Maybe you should ask for that. Yeah, feel free to write in. Give me, <laughs> give us some questions. Um, I overall, it was a positive experience. We're very lucky. We feel like Avi is just was meant, like I said earlier, meant to be in our family. We we asked him about what he remembers, mm. and he he did state not too long ago that he remembers being hungry, like they didn't have enough food. And yeah, it'd be interesting because he's now he's seven. 
give him three more years, and I'm curious to see what he'll remember. The Telugu, I don't think, is hard, is there at all. I'm, there might be songs that he'll have in his memory, mm. um, but he kind of just pushed that out of, away right away once he came to the U.S. That totally just reminded me of a story that I can share if you want me to go back. Um, on our last day in India, when we were just about getting ready to go home, it happened to be Bryn's birthday. And so we had FaceTimed with Bryn. And at this point, we were at dinner sitting with Avi. And so we were like, Avi, say happy birthday to Bryn. And, you know, and at that point, he obviously was not speaking a lot of English and didn't know a lot of what we were saying. Um, I think he knew three words kind of thing. And out of nowhere, he just started singing, happy birthday to you. So he had known the birthday song. And when I said happy birthday, he just it just clicked for him. And he started singing it. And I was shocked. Like, I just was like, I, I think you, you would. You have a video. I do have a video of it. But I felt like you maybe had went to the buffet line or whatever. And it came back. And I'm like, he's singing happy birthday. Like, that was incredible to me that he knew that. So I knew he had exposure to language and things like that. But it was just, it was also impactful to me, too, that he connected those dots so quickly and started singing without me, you know, prompting him or telling him to. Well, or... it's, it's the, it's how English is kind of everywhere to some degree yeah. or another. And so the happy birthday song is, it's amazing how, like, I'm sure it's translations of it, but in English it's incredibly popular still. Yeah. Well, it's an odd thing when you're trying to make connections and bond with this child, but there's a huge language barrier there. So that was one of those first times that I was excited to feel like we had this moment and whatever so i'm i'm glad that that experience happened so other thoughts he's doing well um he's a typical seven-year-old he has his own issues he doesn't have any a personality like the rest of us that's for sure but that's fine he is our rough and tumble i always joke if we're going to end up in the in the er it'll be I'll be on a skateboarder's bike or in the swimming pool. He is my adventure kid. He is so uh, brave and willing to try and do stuff. And, um, and more athletically gifted than any of us. Oh, than any of us, all of us put together. <laughs> he's, he's going to very much be a sports boy is what he says. I'm a sports boy. Um, I appreciate you being willing to come and reprocess all that with me. It's been a while since we've talked about that whole time in our lives you're welcome <laughs> all right i'll let you know if other people ask us questions and then yeah. we'll see q a yeah um the thing about your podcast that you've had some adoptive stuff fostering mm -hmm. um it's interesting to have that conversation just to see what different different perspectives are on it and it's hard to get it all into one conversation but here and there it's interesting stuff yeah all right well thanks babe bye yep Well, thank you to my husband, Matthew, for being willing to share on another bonus episode. You know, I really think he actually secretly likes being on the podcast. <laughs> we want to thank you for listening to our adoption journey and seeing how our son, Abilash, came home. We hope we didn't sugarcoat anything too much. There were some great joys, but there were also some great lows. Check out the show notes. You can see the video we had talked about during the podcast. Uh, you also, if you want to ask us a question, go to recoursepodcast.com and there's a spot where you can send in questions. We would love to answer your questions or meander on some of the thoughts that you have. Um, we hope you come back for next week for another great episode. We'll see you then.